You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. This morning, wow, we got a full house. The surf tournament is on hold today, so you guys had nowhere else better to be, I guess, than to, to be in church. Yeah, no, I'm kidding. All right. I'm her husband, by the way. That's why she said that. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, it was funny. I, I was joking with her this morning. I was like, well, she was working on the announcements, and I was like, the thing you need to be working on is your introduction of me. So I think she did all right. All right. Well, uh, I'm really excited to be uh, able to share with you guys this morning. Um, and thank you all for joining us either in person or online, or if you're going to watch this later on. Um, I always give a shout out to my mom because she always watches my stuff, so hi mom. (laughs) Yeah, got to give credit where credit's due. Uh, So this morning we are going to be continuing in our series uh, that we started a few weeks ago called The Miracles of Jesus. The Miracles of Jesus. Uh, If you haven't been with us or maybe you missed one week or two weeks, uh, in the first week uh, Pastor Riz kind of introduced the series teaching through uh, a story in John chapter 2 where Jesus turns water into wine. If you weren't here, go back to and watch that. It's a good introduction. And then last week, uh, Riz also taught through um, the story of Jesus cleansing the leper from Mark chapter 1. And this morning, uh, we're going to be looking at a story in the Gospel of Matthew. Yes, I wanted to make it difficult, so I picked a, a, you know, every week we're doing a different gospel. But Matthew's my favorite gospel, um, and it's a story in Matthew chapter 9, uh, and I've, been, I've just called it Jesus and the Paralytic. Uh, this story may be familiar with, to you, uh, it may not be, but uh, by the end of this morning, hopefully uh, we'll see the power in this story. If you have your Bibles with you, or if you have a phone, I really encourage you guys to have it in front of you. Yeah, the text will be on the screen but it's a little bit disconnected, and it's good to have that in front of you and to kind of see the things that I'm going to be pointing out in the text um, just to help us track a little bit. Uh, so Matthew chapter 9, 1 through 8, and if you turn there with me, uh, I just encourage you to read along uh, this morning. So Matthew chapter 9, and getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. So this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we just uh, are so thankful, God, that we get the amazing opportunity every week to gather as your community, as your bride, as your church, as your body, to hear what you have to say for us and to us this morning. Holy Spirit, we just invite you into this time. We ask that you would speak God, and that you would reveal more of who you are, God, the truth of who you are 
this morning, God, and let us be people that don't just hear the word, God, but act upon it and do it in whatever way your spirit is leading us, both individually and corporately, God. So we just surrender this time to you and ask that you would just speak through me. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so before we get back into, hey, Sharon, Matthew chapter 1, uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 9, verse, this actual story, I want to back up just a little bit and give us a little bit of understanding of why miracles? Why miracles? Uh, this series is about Jesus and miracles, and if you grew up in the church, uh, you're just familiar with these stories, right? But have you ever thought about this question? Why did Jesus actually perform miracles? I was reminded of this, uh, unfortunately, this morning, but this is not a Bruce Almighty moment, right? This isn't just somebody who has power that's like, hey, I want to exercise this power and do cool stuff. That's not actually what's happening here. There's actually a very deep significance and meaning to why Jesus is doing these things. And there could be uh, potentially quite a few. There could be a number of different reasons. But I want to highlight two specifically this morning before we get into the text that hopefully you'll see as we uh, get into our story. And the first is this, that miracles reveal something true about the nature of Jesus' mission. They reveal something true about the nature of Jesus' mission. And I, I want us to not lose sight of this in the story. And in Matthew chapter 14, verse 14, it says this, When he went ashore, speaking of Jesus, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Jesus had compassion on the people that he was interacting with on a daily basis and he healed them. Why? Because he had compassion towards them. Earlier on in the gospel, uh, in chapter 9, verse 35 through 36, it's not up on the screen, but I'll just read it here. And it says this, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This is hugely significant for us is that these miracles reveal something true about the nature of Jesus. They reveal something true about the heart that God has towards broken and hurting people, that he actually genuinely cares about the individual. He actually genuinely cares about you and me. We cannot lose sight of this. A great thing to always ask yourself, no matter if you're reading a, a parable, if you're reading a miracle, if you're reading a psalm, if you're reading a, a book in the Old Testament, is to ask yourself, what is this revealing about God, his nature and his character? And we see through the miracles that it reveals that Jesus is a compassionate God. Another way you can translate that is that he was moved with pity when he saw the state of the people around him. And the second thing that I think is important is that miracles reveal something true about the nature of Jesus's identity. Now, of course, both of these go hand in hand, but I wanted to separate them just for a little bit. That miracles reveal something true about the nature of Jesus's identity. We're going to bring this question back up in a little bit, but at the very center of all four of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is the question, who is Jesus? That is the main concern that the authors have, is trying to reveal who this person was. 
And there's a great uh, uh, story in, in Matthew that I want to read that, that plays into this. It's in uh, Matthew chapter 11. And this is John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, this amazing prophet. He's imprisoned, and he hears about the deeds of Jesus, the miracles that Jesus is performing, the turning water into wine, uh, the, the dead being raised, the blind seeing, the deaf hearing. And he's like, I got to clarify who this guy is. He's my cousin, but like, is there something more going on? And look what he says. He says this. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? So I can't go into detail of this, but he's asking Jesus if he is the Messiah, the one that Jewish people were expecting to come that would usher in the kingdom of God. And why is he asking that? It has to do with the miracles that Jesus is performing. And so he clarifies, who are you, Jesus? And Jesus, being Jesus, doesn't directly answer the question. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. Jesus normally responds by asking more questions. In this particular case, he just uh, quotes from Scripture. He says, hey, let me, let me answer the question, not saying yes, but through Scripture. And he quotes from two places in the prophet Isaiah, who 600 years before Jesus looked forward to this messianic age when God would send this Messiah who would come and save his people and usher in this kingdom of God. And he says this, so Isaiah chapter 35, 5 through 6, and 61, 1 through 2. If you want to look at those later, you can. And Jesus answered and said, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying, I am the one who is to come. You don't need to look for anybody else. I am. And those miracles validate that claim. These miracles speak into the very nature of who Jesus is. That Jesus was not just the cousin of John the Baptist. He was not just a great prophet, but he was the Messiah in which uh, Isaiah prophesied. And these miracles demonstrate that. Okay? And so those are two things that I think are really important as we move into this story. And not just this story, but uh, the rest of our series. And if you're at home and you're reading through the miracles, keep these two things in mind. And as you read them, just note, what does this story teach me about those two things? How does this inform my understanding about who Jesus is and the nature of his mission? Now, if you've been to our equipped classes, uh, this stuff will be familiar. But I, before getting into it, I have to just give you a few uh, pointers of how you can actually read these stories well. Uh, if you've been to our parable class, these will be familiar, or our Ruth class, these will be familiar. I'm going to talk briefly about these things and to point out, for the most part, these things in the story. And these are just little tools of how you can be a, a more informed reader of these stories. So the first thing that you want to know when you're reading these is you want to understand the setting. This has to do with where and when the story is taking place. Every good story has this. One of the best stories ever told Star Wars. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, right? We intuitively understand that there's no good story without a setting. Who are the people involved? Notice the characters, how they're described. The characters are the vocal point of all stories in the Bible. The action is, is just there to help uh, kind of prop up the characters. Who are these people? And there's different groups of people. Notice those. What is the problem in the story and how is it resolved? And we're talking about miracles, so there's going to be something in our story. There's a, a person who can't walk. That's, that's a problem. 
It's one of two problems in our story. And then how does Jesus actually resolve that problem? Okay, that's called the plot, right? And the resolution. The fundamental question that you want to ask yourself is what does this teach me about Jesus? What is this teaching me about Jesus? And it's so significant to note not just who the characters are, but how do these people respond to Jesus? And you're going to have a mixed bag of responses. People are going to respond positively. Many times people will respond negatively. And then some are pretty neutral. So notice the response because, you guys, this is what the gospel writers do. Is if they tell a story so that you participate in it, so that you find yourself relating to one of the characters. And you're supposed to, at the end of the story, also have some sort of response. How do you respond to this story? And the hope is that you respond in a positive way, like some of those characters, and it's not in a negative way, but you never know. And so this is what, the, this is what these stories do, is they are meant to evoke a response in us. And we, we get to, a, to an accurate response that the author intended uh, through uh, observing some of these things in the text. Make sense? All right, so equipped class, this is good. If you haven't been, now you should come. All right, so what we're going to do is we're going to now go into our story. And kind of my plan of attack for this story is to just go verse by verse, and I'm just going to highlight a, key, a few key observations, talk a little bit about the implications of those things, and uh, what they kind of meant maybe for the characters involved in the story, and uh, depending on uh, the Holy Spirit, maybe uh, sit on it for a minute and think through how it applies to us. And then at the very end, I'm going to kind of bring these three things in particular back up in the form of some questions, uh, some application questions that we can think through, that we can ponder, that we can pray through during our second set of worship at the end. So that's kind of the direction that we are headed. So this is the story of Jesus and the paralytic. So if you have, uh, again, if you have your Bible, uh, just join with me. Matthew chapter 9, verse 1, it says, And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his home or his own city. So this is the setting of the story. Nothing crazy, but where is this taking place? Uh, the story is taking place in the town of Capernaum, which was on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. And in Matthew's gospel, in chapter 8 and chapter 9, he's compiled nine miracle stories that are almost all taking place in and around the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is like an itinerant uh, preacher, and he gets in a boat, and he goes to one side and does some ministry, and he gets in a boat and goes to the other side. And so it's all taking place, for the most part, in and around this small Sea of Galilee. That's his hometown. That's his base of operation. In verse 2, it says, And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Paralytic is kind of an interesting word. It's just a general term used to describe someone who is lame, meaning they cannot walk. Now think about it. In the ancient world 2,000 years ago, uh, this was not a good situation for someone to be in. There was no social services that the government handed out to you so that, uh, or some, you know, uh, disability, those kind of things. If you couldn't work you could not eat. And so this person was completely dependent on the people around him. Now, I picked Matthew's uh, story, uh, although this story appears in both uh, 
uh, Mark and Luke because it's abbreviated, but I want to give us a little bit of context by going to the story in Mark because this is the story you might be familiar with. So this is in Mark chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. And he returned to Capernaum some days later. It was reported that he was at home. Now note, I never knew this before, but I'm pretty sure Jesus at this time is sitting in his own house. I think that's what it means. This was like a major observation. I told Abby, I was like, is it actually in this house? I never knew that before. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. So this is the setting. And they, this is where Matthew picks up, came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Matthew doesn't include all those details because he's not super concerned with that. He wants to kind of move on to the main point. But I think this is interesting. Can you imagine the scene? Jesus is literally in his own home. He's, he's teaching, and there's so many people in there that this paralytic man being carried by four other people can't get to Jesus. But what do they do? They go up on top of his roof. It's a flat roof. And they start tearing it apart. They start literally like destroying his roof in order to get this man to Jesus. In order to get this man to Jesus, right? It shows how desperate they were to get to Jesus. They didn't just say, well, you know, the house is full, so maybe we'll come back tomorrow. It's like, no. You're going to get me there, and you're, we're going to do whatever it takes to get me in front of Jesus. Now, what's interesting here is, I, I, and I don't want, to, I want us to miss this because it's so powerful and profound, the level and extent that these people go to to get to Jesus. And the question that just comes to my mind is, when was the last time I was that desperate for Jesus? That I was not going to let one thing or one place or one person get in my way. And if I am that desperate, how am I supposed to respond in the same way, right? Jesus is not sitting here and I don't have to destroy his house. But what would it look like for me to be so desperate, to be so moved because I have such a huge need in my life to do whatever it takes to get in front of Jesus? Because Jesus obviously is the answer to the problem. It continues and it says, and when Jesus saw their faith, so in Matthew it doesn't say anything about this, but you can imagine Jesus teaching in his house and then all of a sudden, there's, there's stuff falling, right? Like there's dust and there's debris and there's dirt falling all over. And then all of a sudden there's a hole that appears. And this man is being lowered down. Imagine the scene. Imagine how the people around Jesus would have been responding. This would have been very bizarre. But imagine how the man was feeling. Sometimes we just think, oh man, he must have been so excited getting in front of Jesus. Imagine how terrified you would be tearing apart his own house and lowering yourself right into his lap or right in front of him, you would imagine, like, how is Jesus going to respond to this? How is Jesus going to respond to uh, us destroying his house? <laughs> and I love what it says here, and when Jesus saw their faith, and I'm going to sit on here and I'm going to point out two things that I think we can apply to our lives before moving on uh, to the rest of the story. He said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. What's interesting here is, what does it say that Jesus saw whose faith? Whose faith did Jesus see? 
It's plural. It's there. It's not just the paralytic, but all four, five characters in this story that are participating, it's a group effort. It's the communal faith. Now, I think this is important for us, you guys, because most often we view ourselves and our relationship with Jesus as an individual thing. I have a personal relationship with Jesus, and I spend time with Jesus on my own. You guys, sometimes it's not enough. Sometimes you need other people in your life to get you to Jesus. Sometimes you don't even have the faith. You have an issue or a problem that you're facing in your life, and you're like, man, this is really hard, but I'm struggling in my faith right now. Get somebody else that can take you to Jesus for you, right? You need, we need each other. This idea of an individual relationship with Jesus, you're not going to find it in the Bible. It's always communal. It's so important, you guys. I don't know if you're facing a difficult situation in your life. You may need a physical healing. You may need some other issue to, for Jesus to resolve. But if you're struggling, find somebody. Have somebody pray with you. Have someone journey with you. Be like, I, I can't get my butt to Jesus, but drag me there. Do whatever it takes, man, because I'm so desperate. I think it's really powerful, and I don't want us to miss that. And I love this point is this. The first kind of takeaway is this, that Faith is realizing that Jesus is the only solution to the problem. Because you notice that it says Jesus saw their faith. There was no prayer that was prayed. There was no statement uh, signed. They didn't say anything to demonstrate their faith. What was faith in the story? Faith in the story was an action that the people took to get to Jesus. Faith is realizing, in this story, faith is realizing that Jesus is the only solution to my problem, and I am going to do whatever it takes to get to Jesus. If you're anything like me and you have a problem, I will do whatever it takes to fix it on my own. And then when I cannot fix it on my own, I bring Jesus along for the ride, and I say, okay, now it's your turn. That's not a good way to live life, right? I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what you're going through personally, family-wise. If you have a problem, you guys, the solution is Jesus. It continues and says, He said to the paralytic, so imagine, get, again, he's sitting there, he sees this paralytic being, being dropped below him, and again, this, as I was studying this, I was like, man, I bet you this guy was afraid. I bet you this paralytic was afraid, but he was so desperate for Jesus and so desperate for a move of God in his life that he was like, I'll do whatever it takes. But you can imagine the scene. I'm guessing people stopped talking. I'm guessing Jesus stopped talking. And then all of a sudden there's this person. Everybody's wondering, how is Jesus going to respond to this person? It seems like an inconvenient, right? Jesus is teaching. It'd be like me teaching and all of a sudden someone coming in here that was like, had an issue, and we would all be like, well, you're kind of interrupting the scene right now. We'd all be like, what? what? How is David going to respond to this? Same thing. Look at what Jesus says. Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Uh, another way that you can uh, think about this is, it's okay, little boy. Literally, he says, little boy. That's the, that's the language that's being used. Take care. It's okay, little boy. Now, imagine if you were that man how comforting those words would be. Again, 
when we're thinking about these miracles, when we're, when we're studying and we're reading these miracles, we don't want to miss out on how, what it's communicating about the heart of God. Is that Jesus cares about broken and hurting people. Jesus cares about broken and hurting people. And I don't want you to just think the people in society that, of course, are just in your face, very broken. You're like, I know God cares about those people. No, he cares about you and your problems and your brokenness, and he cares about mine. There's no scale in God's, in God's mind. Like, hey, by the way, that problem that uh, you have, like, that's your problem. I don't really care about that thing, but this one over here I care about. No, Jesus is compassionate, that he's moved with pity and empathy towards you and your problems. And in light of that, you guys, isn't that a beautiful invitation to then respond to Jesus? If you know that there's an open invitation that God cares about you and wants to bring healing and restoration to you physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, your family, that's an invitation of casting your cares onto Jesus because you know it's been proven in the stories that he actually cares. And that is so foundational, you guys, when we're thinking about who Jesus is and what these miracles uh, teach us about that. I'm reminded of this uh, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 29. <clears throat> Jesus says this, Come to me, all who, are la- who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. What a beautiful invitation. Jesus doesn't say, hey, by the way, get your act together, figure out your life, be a perfect person, and then we'll talk. No. No matter where you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you're going through, there's an invitation that Jesus gives us. And the solution is only found in him, is this rest that Jesus talks about, you're not going to find it anywhere else. But when you come to him, you actually get this rest because Jesus says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. What a beautiful depiction of who Jesus is. This is the God that we serve. This is the, this is the person of Jesus that we as a community are following, right? That's what Reality Honolulu is. All right, so uh, we're going to move on to the second kind of half of the story. It's a little bit more than half. Um, but I, I kind of wanted to just highlight those two, two applicational points uh, because they, they really stood out to me uh, this week. And essentially, you guys, at the end of verse 2, it's going to clue us in on what the point of the story actually is. Because the point of the story really isn't the healing of the man, although it is significant. I don't, I don't want us to miss that. And that's why I kind of titled this, this message, Jesus and the Paralytic. Because the miracle is one aspect to the main point of this story. Notice Jesus' response after he says to the man, take heart, my son. What does he say? Your sins are forgiven. Now, immediately when you're reading the story, you should be like, Wait, that's a weird response. What do you expect Jesus to say? Get up and walk or something. I mean, you're healed and Jesus, I don't know. Not your sins are forgiven. There's an obvious need. This man can't walk, Jesus. That's what he's here for. 
But that's not really the point of what's happening in Matthew's story. Is that Matthew is using this story and this healing to communicate something profound about who Jesus is. And we're going to see that uh, in the rest of this story. In verse uh, 3 it says, And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, so they hear this and there's these religious leaders, these scribes, that are hearing this, they're, they're listening to Jesus teach, and they hear him say, your sins are forgiven, and they object to that. Look at what it says. They said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. It's kind of a, a biblical Bible word, right? This just means to, to insult, to slander, to speak of God irreverently. Now, we have to go back to Mark because Matthew leaves this out and doesn't include this important detail because why did they object? And why did they say that that was blasphemy? Because Matthew doesn't tell us. Look at what it says in Mark. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. This is why they said that. Because they said, who can forgive sins but God alone? This is what Jewish people believed. Is that the only person that can forgive sins is God alone. And that's true of us today, right? As Christians. That's our belief. Our belief is that the only place you can go to find forgiveness of sins is God. There is no forgiveness found outside of that. And this is why they object. They're saying, wait a minute, Jesus. You just said this man's sins are forgiven. You know what you're saying? You know what you're claiming to be and who you're claiming to be? That's blasphemous. Verse 4, it says, But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? He begins to question them. Why do you say that? Now, you know, for us, not being those characters, I'd be like, yeah, like, why did you say that? But if you were a good Jewish person, a good Jewish Bible scholar, or even a good Jewish uh, man or woman, you would be thinking the same thing. You'd be like, wait a minute. The Hebrew Bible teaches us that, yeah, sin is only found in God. God can for, can, is the only one to forgive sins. This is a weird thing to say. What an odd response. For which is easier, in verse 5, to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk. Those are the two things Jesus says. What's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or rise and walk. Now, what is easier to say? What's the easier thing to say? The easier thing to say is your sins are forgiven. Because you can't really prove that to be true. But to tell someone, rise up and walk, and if they don't rise up and walk, uh, that's, that's the harder, right? So Jesus is making this comparison here. Now, you probably didn't think you were coming to church to hear uh, this word, but what's happening here is Jesus is making a logical argument, and this argument is called a fortiori argument. And this is what the, a fortiori, if you're an English person, you probably know what this means. I am not, so I have to look it up. It's this. It's a form of argumentation that draws upon existing confidence in a proposition, to argue in favor of a second proposition that is held to be implicit in and even more certain than the first. That's a lot of words. So what in the world does that mean? Right? If you're like me, you read something and you're like, what? Like, what did I just read? This is what Jesus is doing. He's, he has two propositions. And if one proves true, then the other implicitly is true. That's what's happening here. Right, so the, the first proposition is this. If Jesus has the authority to heal this person, if that person is healed, then it is also true and valid and, validify, and uh, solidified that Jesus has authority to forgive sins. 
That's the argument that's happening right here. This is a massive, massive claim about who Jesus is. That's what's happening in this story, right? Two propositions. If this man rises and walks, then you know that I have authority to forgive sins. The point of this story, you guys, and you would be able to observe this if you just notice repetition alone, is the question of Jesus' authority to forgive sins. That's the point of the story. And Jesus is going to use this miracle to demonstrate that. And look what it says in verse 6. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So I just want to stop there. The Son of Man, I'm not going to get too uh, detailed about that. This is the, the term that Jesus uses exclusively to refer to himself. Jesus will never come out and say, I am the Son of God. He won't do it. He uses this term, the Son of Man. The Son of Man is just a general term that's translated to mean human being or the human one. There is also some implication that you'll see later on at the end of Matthew's gospel and its relationship to Daniel chapter 7, 13, and 14. I'm not going to get into that, but if I think it's in Matthew chapter 27. You can read that later on if you're curious. So this is what he says, but that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. What's the point of the story? The point of the story is, who is Jesus? And in this place, he's saying, I am someone who has authority to forgive sins. And I'm going to demonstrate that right now. He said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And if the man just sat there and was raised back up and went home, still on the bed, you would say, hey, Jesus, that was cute, but I don't believe you. I don't believe that you have authority to forgive sins. But what is the result of Jesus's response in verse 7? And he rose and went home. So, since this man was healed, it's implicit that Jesus also has authority to forgive sins. And <laughs> this is huge, you guys. Jesus has authority to forgive sins. So, Jesus is never going to come straight out and say it. He's never going to do that. But what is the claim being made here about who Jesus is, right? The story is always going to try to inform us about who Jesus is. What is the claim being made about who Jesus is? Who is he? He is God. That's the claim that's being made. That is massive. The most important thing in your life is how you answer the question, who is Jesus? It is the most important thing about you. Because it changes everything. If Jesus was just a great prophet or a great teacher, you guys, then we are completely wasting our time here. But if he actually is who he claimed to be, to be God, then it gives us every reason to be here and to follow him with everything that we have. Because he has authority to not just heal, but to solve the ultimate issue that we face, which is our sin that leads to broken relationship between God and Jesus came to bring restoration through the forgiveness of sin. If you were here uh, uh, during our Advent series, Abby talked about the name Jesus. Jesus, the name means Yahweh saves. 
And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, it says, because he will save his people from his sins. Right? And this is the point of the story. It's, 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 it's pointing us in and it's cluing us in on who Jesus is, that Jesus was God and therefore has authority to forgive our sins. In the last verse, in verse 8, it says, when the crowd saw it, they were afraid. Another way you can understand this is to wonder or be amazed, <clears throat> to marvel. And they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Now, I, there's a lot of different, if you were to read commentaries or different translations, uh, this, this passage is a little bit hard to, to, to translate. In the ESV, it seems like they, they responded positively to Jesus, right? The crowd, it seems like they responded positively. But in the original Greek language, it seems like, if, if anything, it was negative or neutral. And so I just, to simplify it, the, the response is, is mostly neutral. And again, we're looking at the main characters in the story and how do they respond to Jesus. How did the paralytic and his friends respond to Jesus? Positive or negative? Happy face or sad face, Right? That, that, that's a positive response. How did the religious leaders, how did the Bible scholars and the Bible teachers in this story respond to Jesus? Positive or negative? Negative. And how did the crowds respond? Well, it's probably a mixed bag. It's, it's mostly just kind of neutral. They're still not quite understanding. So what character in the story do you want to uh, hope that you most relate to? Hopefully you're the one that's like, I'm like that paralytic or maybe one of his friends. Like, I think I get Jesus. You may not totally get Jesus, but you're like, hey, I know who Jesus is, and I know how I need to respond to him in my life. You don't want to be like the religious leaders that object to this, that don't believe what Jesus is saying. And you don't really want to be neutral either, but oftentimes, you guys, when Jesus says stuff, it's kind of shocking, and sometimes our response is neutral. We're like, I don't quite get it yet. So kind of in conclusion... I just want to go back to this question that is at the heart of this and all four of the Gospels is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And Jesus will question his disciples and say, who do the people say that I am? And they'll say all these things. And he asks them, who do you say that I am? So I think the question for us to think through is, who do you say that Jesus is? Because the main point of this is this claim about Jesus' identity that he is God. And if that's who we believe that he is, man, that, that should radically affect the way we behave and the way we live our lives. It changes absolutely everything. So kind of to conclude, I know it might have seemed like it was kind of all over the place, but there was really three main takeaways that I wanted to highlight in this miracle. And as we kind of transition into this uh, second set of musical worship, which is essentially just our response to the word this morning. These are things that I came up with. So if there's things that you felt like the Lord was uh, leading you in that are different, that's totally fine. But these three uh, points kind of have to do with some of the application that we mentioned uh, throughout this time together. The first is this. Do I have a problem in my life that only Jesus can overcome? This has to do with the, the paralytic man and his friends. Again, don't think small, large, big, whatever. Do you have a problem that only Jesus can solve? And if so, what is the appropriate response this morning is a good place to start, but maybe continuing. 
to help move yourself towards Jesus. I have a problem. How do I get this problem to Jesus so that he can resolve it? Oftentimes, you guys, it comes in the form of an action. It is a physical response. It is a behavior that needs to be changed or modified. I'm not saying it's not good to pray. Prayer is a great thing. But sometimes, uh, and we see in this story, you need to actually do something about it. Do I need other people in my community to help get me there? You guys, I'm not going to get into the details, but I have a problem. Or something that definitely only Jesus can overcome. And I cannot do it alone. It's impossible. I have a problem, and I can identify exactly how this applies to my life. And I need other people in my life. The second thing that we saw is, do I believe that Jesus really cares about me and my problems? You guys, this is me all the time. I know that God cares for for the sick and the broken, and he cares for the people that have never heard the name of Jesus before in the nations. But do I actually think and actually believe that Jesus cares about me and all of my little problems? The answer is yes. And if that's the case, that should change your behavior. It should make you actually want to move towards him and respond to him, right? And then I was thinking about this yesterday uh, because I was prepping this and I was like, I got to take a break. And I came to the food distribution and I was like, do I actually care about these people the same way that Jesus does? When I see people that are, that are hurting and broken in my community, do I, am I actually moved with compassion and, and sympathy towards them? Or am I just doing this because I know it's the right thing to do? I'm saying I think it's good to do the right thing, but it's also like I want God's heart for people. If you're like, man, I don't really have that same compassion, then pray and ask God to give you more of his heart for the broken and hurting people around you. And then finally, do I believe that Jesus is God? <laughs> the most important question. And that's, that's what the, the story is about. And that he is willing and able to forgive my sins. And in light of that, what is the appropriate response for me in that situation? Maybe if you are already a Christian, your response would just be to, to praise and worship him. To come up and take communion during worship and just be like, man, God, I am so thankful and I just want to worship you and pour out my heart on you because of the forgiveness of sin that I've received in your son, Jesus. Maybe uh, you actually, you don't follow Jesus. And maybe you actually have never uh, experienced the amazing gift that Jesus gives in forgiveness of sins and restoration with the Father. And that's the step that you feel like the Lord is actually leading you in today. I encourage you to take that. Sorry, we're going to transition into worship right now. <laughs> Sorry. So this is what we're going to do. Uh, the worship team is going to come back up. And uh, if you want to take a picture of that or if you already kind of know some of those questions in your mind, my, my encouragement for you is, is to respond in the way you feel like the Holy Spirit is leading you to. And uh, you can come up here and you can kneel on the carpets if you want uh, to be more comfortable. You can stand up in your chair. You can go to the back and stand. You can stay seated. You can kneel down. You guys, if you have a problem or if you have a need, just turn to the person next to you. Like, we all love each other. We're all cool with each other, I think. Find somebody to pray with you. Find somebody to help you get to Jesus and encourage you in your faith. 
And then, of course, we have communion on both sides. If you just want to respond in, in thanksgiving and praise and remind yourself of what Jesus has done in your life, uh, that's a great way to respond. Uh, and so I will just uh, pray for us, and then, uh, yeah, Holy Spirit, lead us. <clears throat> God, we just thank you so much for, for your word, and we just thank you for the amazing gift that it is for us today. God, we thank you for, for your son, Jesus, who you sent to, to come and to uh, live a life and to die a death that we deserved, God, so that we can have forgiveness and restoration and reconciliation with you. And we can be people that walk in this amazing newness of life. That we can be people that find this rest. That we can be people that find our hope and find our security in you, Jesus. And we know through this story that you are a compassionate, merciful, gracious, loving, forgiving Father who desires so deeply to be in a relationship with us, God. And we just, we invite your Holy Spirit to speak and to move in us both as individuals and as a community this morning. We just pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.